0: There's this guy that I've known forever. His name's Kevin. He's about 40, a father now with two kids. But back in the summer of 1989, when Kevin had just turned 16, his dad let him drive from San Diego to Central America with his older brother. Kevin was super excited. It was the adventure of a lifetime. He'd saved up nearly $1,000 working after school at a yogurt shop. Kevin's brother, who was 21 at the time, knew parts of Mexico pretty well. After he'd dropped out of college, it seemed that he was down in Baja all the time. He was a hard charger, lived with a bunch of tattooed guys who looked like felons. He drove this kick-ass red Jeep with no doors. A little wild, but he'd always looked out for Kevin since they were little kids. Kevin wasn't worried.
1: Good guy to travel with, he'll watch out for me, he'll learn some Spanish, drink beer and smoke cigarettes.
0: But there were other interesting facts about Kevin's brother too, some of which would soon become concerns. That thing that the brother was doing in Baja, not legal. The tattooed guys who looked like felons were, in fact, felons. And actually, Kevin's brother himself had recently been released from a short stint in county jail. The older brother had anger issues. He was a control freak. So the trip, I mean, it sucked. It ended badly, and it ended early. There was a blowout fight. Two drove down, one flew back.
1: I was happy to get on a plane and go home. I'd had enough of the driving. I'd had enough of my old brother. And now it had become a fight. And even though we had fought before, really this was the worst one.
0: There's one more important thing to know about Kevin and his brother. When they were kids, they'd been everything to each other, super close, like war buddies. Because they grew up with a stepfather who was a real bastard, violent. And they moved around a lot, every year a new school, no friends, really just each other. This trip, that fight, it decimated their relationship. The two never really spoke about the trip again, didn't speak much at all. It's been more than 20 years. I wanted to talk to Kevin about this, and how he feels about it now, since I already know how his brother feels about this, because I'm his brother. Okay,
1: we're, we're recording. You good? All right, I'm good. Is that me? I think so. Talk about the long trip.
0: When I first suggested that we talk, Kevin was ambivalent. I think he wondered why, like what good could come of it, which is fair, because I have not been an easy guy to talk to, but I had some things I wanted to say. And, And look, in this story, I'm not gonna come off well. I was a real prick. In the late 80s, I was the first person in my family to get into college. I dropped out after six months. Some friends let me crash with them. One night, I threw a party that went off the rails and three shots rang out from a semi-automatic handgun. The idiot that fired the gun? That was me, my gun, evicted. Then I started hanging with some truly bad people. We were running ephedrine and coke from Baja into San Diego. One night, there was a drug raid at our house. Everything got flushed down the toilets before the cops got through the door, but I still got arrested. Through all of this though, I still somehow had this great girlfriend, just really sweet and wonderful. Then I slept with some other girl. You know what that got me? Gonorrhea is what it got me, and no girlfriend. I ruined so much, so much, but I could run away from almost all of it and take penicillin for the rest. I was 21 years old, a colossal mess, and I just wanted to get in my Jeep and drive to Mexico and beyond, see the temples of the Aztecs, the Mayan ruins. So I prepared to drive all the way to Central America for the summer, and I would take with me the one person who I was sure didn't think I was such a bad guy. And I was done being that bad guy anyway, that shallow, selfish me that people hated. I was ready to throw myself into something real on this trip, something important, something smart. Before we left, I removed the back seat from the Jeep and replaced it with a welded lockbox with maybe two suitcases worth of storage space. Then I loaded it with a lot of books. I'd always been a reader, like a studier, and my plan for the summer was, sure, hang out with my brother, but also to learn the language of the Lacandone Mayans. And I was gonna learn to read the Mesoamerican hieroglyphs. I even made flashcards for myself. This trip would be an opportunity for me to figure out, once and for all, why the Mayan civilization disappeared. Yeah, archeologists had been on the job for more than a century, and still nobody knew why all these cities were abandoned. But I was pretty sure that this summer, I was gonna get it nailed down. All answers lay somewhere in those lost cities deep in the jungle. And Lucky Kevin, he was about to see every one of them.
1: Palenque, Chichen Itza, Teotihuacan, Uxmal, Mitla, Temple del Sol. I could name these things, but I can't remember them. They all just blend together for me as rocks crumbling and The idea of seeing the ruins wasn't, that was your idea, you know, why you would be going to Mexico. At 16, just turned 16, I knew there was gonna be beer, I knew there was gonna be ladies at the tourist spots, and um, hopefully surf good warm water.
0: I have no recollection of surf being on the itinerary. I don't, I mean, I don't know. So off we went with our high hopes, such wildly different high hopes, into Mexico. To get us to the important places where I wanted to be, most days I'd need to drive us for stretches of six or eight hours. A lot of times Kevin just wanted to stop, like in a village and see stuff. But there could be no stopping. When we did pull into little towns, people were curious about the two gringos who showed up in their pueblo. They'd ask questions, and I'd tell them to mind their own business. I wasn't some freak show oddity. What I was was a pretentious douchebag who could not be bothered to interact with the common man. Kevin, though, was, like, energized by being around other people. And the more, the merrier. He loved it when we were in the beach towns full of American tourists, and in the small villages, he'd fumble through the few Spanish words that he knew and start these inane conversations with everybody. It grated on me. I wasn't much better on the road. Driving on mountain highways was frigging unnerving, especially at night. And a lot of the time, the map just did not seem to reflect the reality on the ground. My Spanish wasn't great, but the little phrases that I used to navigate around Baja weren't working for me here. The dialects were different. I I couldn't understand a lot of the responses, and I didn't handle it well, which I couldn't hide from Kevin. He was sitting right next to me.
1: As we pull away from the people, you, you so often I feel, I remember that you'd be like, oh, that fucking idiot, or God, what the fuck? I just asked a simple question, you know, and just kind of this continually watching you, the navigator, ask, Ay, tell me a and and I'd just be like, God, he just asked that question two turns ago. I knew he didn't understand what the guy said. So much in my head, I would just be like, Pfft calling that guy a fucking idiot, but I didn't even understand what he said.
0: We drove south through Mazatlan and down to Puerto Vallarta. It was all green and jungly and full of tourists having fun. I knew that I was better than them. I wasn't here for the parasailing and the tequila poppers. I had a mission. This is from my journal entry about the ruins at Isla del Rio, July 22nd, 3.01 p.m. This temple is the highest of the 15 plus structures found here. The floor of the temple structure is four feet off the ground and is reached by six narrow, steep steps. There's a perimeter wall that runs the circumference, save for four entranceways, not equidistant. The wall reaches to ten feet above the ground and has in its design symmetrical crosses as portholes all the way around, 41 of them. The material of construction at this site was really nice The journal is 190 pages long, and late into every night I wrote down all of the important Mesoamerican anthropology stuff from the trip, which includes virtually no people. At least no living people. If you were forced to read this entire journal and then tried to deduce the importance of the Kevin character in my life, you might guess that he was maybe boy in taco stand or boy at beach number four. He just didn't figure into my narrative. And one other thing about this journal, and I'm not sure how to say this except to just say it, along the way, I met some girls, and if things went well with those girls, then they would earn a little note at the top of the journal page for the day, right above the groundbreaking archeological data. And the note would say, for example, remember Blanca. And I totally do remember Blanca. So there's that. For me, it was all ruins all the time. We drove to the ancient Toltec city of Tula and visited Aztec temples at Tenayuca and Santa Cecilia and the ruins of Teotihuacan. And by visited, I mean that we spent hours and hours at each site while I mapped and logged every important detail, while Kevin must have been doing something. In general, he was a pretty good sport about it. Clearly, it wasn't his thing. But what was he going to do? How are we doing at this point? How are we getting along at this point in your recollection?
1: Fine. I think there would be times where we'd and be like, let's just not talk or something. Pretty civilly getting through any frustrations. I wouldn't have gone yet and called you names. I don't think.
0: Not yet. Every night ended the exact same way with me studying and compulsively writing notes in my journal late into the night with the light on while Kevin tried to sleep. He complained about it constantly, as if turning out the lights was more important than what I was writing. I just kept writing. I felt like the answers that I needed could be parsed later from the details that I wrote, and not like in a new-agey way, I mean like in a real anthropological way. So I kept writing, and I drew a ton, too, these really intricate field sketches of Aztec and Mayan designs, and then I mapped out all these ancient cities. There was no reason for this. All of the cities had already been mapped by actual archaeologists. Also, I had a camera. I took hundreds of pictures. Kevin appears in three of them. At this point, if you were going to write a letter to your best friend, a postcard to your best friend, about your brother, what would it have said?
1: Uh, the postcard I'm sure would say having fun traveling through Mexico, but my brother's pretty much an asshole. I- I'm getting getting kind. Of, I would probably would have said I'm getting kind of sick of him, but I'm sure we can get through this. Another, the next fun place ahead.
0: One day Kevin met a girl about his age. She was Mexican. All I remember about her is that she spoke some English and she had a small head. Kevin introduced me and I was probably just my normal self. She told Kevin, your brother is really sangrone, which I learned later that night means arrogant. Kevin reveled in a great many retellings of that. He loved letting me know that everybody thought I was a prick. And for some reason, this particular jab from the small-headed girl really hit me hard, because I normally had to work a little to make people dislike me. But I hadn't done that with her. She could tell that I was an arrogant jerk in my normal resting state. Sangrón became Kevin's new favorite word when we argued, and it drove me crazy. But even when Kevin was happy, he was driving me crazy now. His whole cheerful surfer-stoked-to-be-around-people thing. It's funny, though, because I remember as a little kid I was the same way. In second grade, the teacher wrote a comment in my report card that said I was a bubbly student. That night, when our stepfather got home from the machine shop and read it, I got beat. He said he knew what the teacher meant, that I was a loudmouth. I changed. We spent a few days in Mexico City and worked our way south to Oaxaca on little two-lane roads and muddy trails. Kevin suggested that maybe we should skip some of the more remote ruins and head straight for the beach, and I told him, no fucking way. We crossed the Isthmus and over to the ruins in Campeche and Yucatan, and just when it seemed that Kevin was ready to mutiny, we were saved by our next stop on the map, Cancun.
1: (laughs) Drinking and nightlife and beautiful beaches and scuba and snorkeling and beautiful water.
0: Cancun was amazing in those days, just this Caribbean paradise and lots of ruins. But it was okay, I was certain we could see and do it all. In fact, the days in Cancun might have been the best of the entire trip. We were both excited to get out to the islands.
1: There was that island just offshore called Isla Mujeres, which sounded great to me because I knew Mujeres meant women. So we got on some sort of, uh, just we didn't bring the car, we just went out there ourselves. No car, a ferry out there, I think. And then um, we got there pretty late, I wanna say. Long day and we found kind of a real quiet bar and started drinking, putting down some drinks. And then it was time to go up to our hotel, which is a fairly meager hotel, nothing fancy. And uh, start turning in for the night, and you're making notations in your journal. And uh, it got to an argument in that hotel that night where I pretty much let my mouth fly. And I said, uh, all the things I felt, which included, you think you're so cool. You think you're so much better than everyone around here. Um, and I'm sure included in that was, you're a fucking idiot. You're a fucking idiot. You're fucking not as cool as you think you are. And I went to the pimples on your face. I went to the chicks you had chosen. I went to how you treat everybody like shit. And you still didn't get up out of that bed or stop writing in your book. And it was a volcano erupting out of my mouth time. I would not stop. I would not stop. And I got you grinding your teeth and standing up. And you said, I'm going to fucking hit you if you say another word. I think it was that. And I, of course, just said probably one of the slowest, fuck yous. And that's... Pretty much when I got a slug right to the lip, I'd say. Good fat lip, fly backwards. Oh, rack fell when I flew back. And I stood up tall, but I didn't hit back. I just let that mouth go some more. That didn't hurt, do it again, do it again. Fuck you, fucking doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt.
0: every horrid thing that he said in that room. I knew he was right. I agreed with him, so I punished him, bad. Threw him into a nightstand, shattered a lamp, upended a bed. There was blood. The door was blocked with the mattress, so he escaped out the window, ran down to the courtyard outside the hotel. Next door was a jungle gym, and the way I remember it, my recollection, you were yelling for me to get away from you. You were running around the jungle gym on the opposite side because you thought I was coming back for you more. And I was trying to say, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm, I should not have done that. I, I, I'm sorry. Over and over, I apologized to Kevin, swore it would never happen again, but it was too late. Kevin was done.
1: I was 100% down to leave because I did have the control at that moment. That was the one thing I could control. I could control saying, I want to leave. I just didn't want to be with, on that trip anymore. I just didn't want to be with you anymore. It wasn't the environment we were in, it was you. I had told you when we got in a fight, and I know you remember this, I said, it's never gonna be the same between us. That's it, it's over. Never gonna respect you. It's never gonna be the same again. You call me up, I won't even, you know, probably at that time I would say I wouldn't talk to you. But um, by the next day, I remember your face and I knew your emotions well. You were sorry and you were sad that things weren't gonna be the same. You knew it. You said, I know they won't.
0: The next morning we got back on the ferry and then drove without a word to the Cancun airport where we bought Kevin a one-way ticket to San Diego. I continued on alone to Belize and Guatemala and then turned back up to Mexico, where I stayed for the next four years. My mailing address was Lista de Correos, just general delivery, and I didn't have a phone. It wasn't on purpose, almost nobody in the town had phones. But also, I didn't want a phone. I cut myself off almost entirely from my family, not just during the years in Mexico, but even after I returned. Kevin had been the very last person left standing in my corner, and. this trip, at least in hindsight, had been like a bridge to fix things back home, to show that I wasn't such a bad guy. Instead, it only proved what I'd always feared. I was a bad guy. What I didn't know through all this time was that Kevin actually did get over this stuff, quickly. Pretty much as soon as he got back to San Diego. He had said things would never be the same, but never means something different to a 16-year-old kid. And I guess I'm not surprised Kevin's over it. He's not like one of those pricks who holds a grudge. I'm the one who couldn't let it go, any of it. That trip in Mexico, for me to hit him, to beat him the way that I did after the childhood we had, I felt ashamed. Kevin and I had never really sat down and talked about this, but I know I let him down, not just in Mexico, long before that, all through our childhood. There were beatings, just this... Violence, like every other day. When I was nine, I saw my stepfather throw Kevin face first into the sharp corner of a wall. It opened up his forehead. So much blood. Kevin was four years old. Even now, almost 40 years later, sitting in front of him, I can barely stand to tell him what happened when we took him to the emergency room. Right off the bat, stepfather's saying, ah, oh, he tripped and fell, you know, he's bleeding, need to get that fixed. And they asked mom, and she gave the company line. And then they asked me, and I said, Yeah, he tripped and fell.
1: Mm. And, you know,
0: as the older brother, he, I had a responsibility. I mean, regardless of what was beaten out of me, I had this responsibility, you know. I mean, it, it, it hits me now when I look at your face. You've got that, I mean, that scar is. That scar is a part of you that is a part that I wish I could forget. I bet. And and we would go visit Dad every other weekend, and he would ask, and I wouldn't say anything, you know? I just, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it, and then... Our Dad didn't know what our stepfather was doing to us until one weekend when Kevin was nine. Kevin had been beaten badly, and he must have said something to Dad.
1: I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't there. I don't even know what you said. Well, you were there. You were there. We were going to Dad and Kathy's on Cove Drive. Dad and Kathy wasn't there. He took a little bit different way. We were on a more scenic route from Lakeside. Like the 6-7, I remember the sunset and the mountain road. And uh, I remember I had just told him that, oh, yeah, I got for leaving the paint out and then after getting beat and told to come back out in the living room I spent about 40 seconds feeling sorry and trying to to act normal that that 40 seconds passed and I didn't pick up the paint again and so I got beat again for not picking up the paint and it just was uh, was this electric uh, the electrical cord um I feel that time it was back of the knees to the middle of the back.
0: The only thing that it took to get us out of that bad situation was for somebody to speak up, for me to tell my dad, my real dad, the truth about our life at home. But I was too afraid to say anything, so I said nothing. And this fact, more than most any other, makes me hate myself, because I was the big brother. It was my responsibility to speak up, to protect Kevin. Instead, he's the one who stood up, He's the one who told our dad.
1: And he called CPS, he called the police. They took Polaroids in a room of my bare ass and back and, and we sat around a table and said, the policeman asked us, I want you to name every time you've been beat. And that was the table there on Cove Drive, the dinner table. And we looked at each other like, oh, do you have a while? And for years after that conversation, for years, maybe decades, I thought of what I had forgot to tell that guy. Oh, I never mentioned that time. And I know right away that I hadn't mentioned that. Just, it would pop into my head and go, oh, I didn't mention that.
0: Telling Kevin that I was sorry about the fight in Mexico, that was one thing. Talking about the stuff that happened when we were little, what I didn't do, apologizing for not protecting him as a kid, that's what I really needed to say to him. For the past 20 years, I've lived like half an hour from Kevin. He invites me to stuff all the time, but I don't go. And I'm not much of an inviter. I don't see him much, or the rest of the family either. Our past has always held me back. I've got a lot of regret.
1: i kind of sad to hear that you have so much remorse over it. I don't blame you for it, and I don't blame you for being older and should have known better. That is something that happened a long time ago. And I don't want you to uh, be tortured by your past. And I hope I haven't done anything to continue the torture. You know, you're loved.
0: I'm a different person now than I was at 21. Mostly, it took a long time to get my karma straight. But I'm still not a guy who's gonna start a conversation with you on an elevator, and I'd rather you didn't either. Also, I waited a long time, but I'm married now. I have a daughter who's nine, and a son who's seven. They have a very different life than the one Kevin and I had.
1: I'm gonna have this plate.
0: (laughs) A couple of weeks after we spoke, Kevin asked us to come to Thanksgiving at his house. I drove up with my wife and my kids in a vegetable dish. There were a lot of people, like 22, extended family. People who see each other regularly but don't see me much at all. Kevin likes having all this family around. It makes me a little anxious. My kids played with his kids. Nobody got punched in the face. It was nice. I think I hope to see them at Christmas.